So we're in Luke chapter 17 this morning and we're looking at verses 20 to 37. Verses 20 to 37. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? Jesus said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So what does the future hold? Would you like to know what the future holds? Not necessarily. Thank you, honesty. You see, when will Christ return? This is a question that has been bugging the human race for a long time. When does it all end? If it all ends at all. Historic predictions have been made. Books have been printed by the millions. People are so busy with computers today tracking geopolitical happenings. What nation is coming against what nation? What does that mean? Astrology is its, in its most popular now, not among non-Christians, but among Christians. You go look at the stats. It's sad to say that Christians are some of the biggest followers of astrology. Using the stars to try and predict the future. Have you been caught up at all? Are you ever tempted to turn to the stars in the magazine or the paper and to look what it has for you that week? Be honest. You see, the coming of Christ's kingdom, his kingdom itself, his kingship, his return are major themes in Luke. And we're there once more this morning as we look at the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And not just the present kingdom, but the one to come and Christ's return. And so as we look at the theme this morning um, on the overheads, I'm going to put some little headings there for you. And it's as we go through the text, they'll be descriptive of this kingdom and his return. 
And so the first one there this morning is, the kingdom is in your midst. Jesus said so to the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees on a day got Jesus and they said to him, Lord, when is the kingdom coming? This is a question they'd asked before. And they kept asking it. You see, the Old Testament prophecies had prophesied that one day the Lord would come. I want to read from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. This is what the prophecy said in Isaiah. For unto us the child is born, to us the son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So the prophecies have said, this Messiah is coming, the kingdom will be established. John the Baptist, who recently had been in the picture, had been prophesying, the kingdom of heaven is near. He'd been saying it over and over. They'd all heard it. And so these Pharisees come to Jesus and they say to him, Lord, when will this happen? When is the kingdom coming? Now, we also need to remember what time of the year it was. Where was Jesus on the way to? On the way to Jerusalem. What was going to happen there? It was going to be the Passover. What was the Passover all about? It was the time when God rescued his people from Egypt in an amazing way. And as the, the Jewish people were getting together in Jerusalem, they were coming in the sense of expectancy. Is it going to be this Passover? That the Messiah will deliver us, that he will be here, that he will overthrow the Romans and we won't have to be under the yoke anymore. Is it going to be this one? And so the Pharisees were coming with this question to Jesus. Is it going to be this one, Lord? You see, their perspective, the glasses they had on were political, religious and Jewish glasses. And they were seeing the reality of Jesus that way. They weren't seeing the, the Messiah in front of them with spiritual glasses on the way Jesus had been teaching them all this time. And implicit in the question of when will it happen, Lord, was this thing about signs. You see, Jesus read their hearts because in the answer to him, in his answer to them, he talks about signs once again. The Pharisees were always on about signs. When is it going to happen, Lord? What signs will there be? One of the passages we read this is in Matthew 16, verses 2 to 4. Listen to this again. Matthew 16, verses 2 to 4. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus. That's always kind of the attitude they had when they came to Jesus. To, to show them a sign from heaven and he, and he answered them. When it's evening, you say, it'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, you say, it'll be stormy weather today. Why? Because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. But you cannot interpret the signs of the times. You're an evil and adulterous generation which seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. You see, once more, Implicit in their question to Jesus, when is the kingdom coming? They wanted to see a sign in Jerusalem to show that he was the Messiah who was coming to overthrow the Romans and to establish their religious kingdom. But Jesus points out to them, as we're going to see in these next verses, that signs are not the issue, but the correct interpretation of what they see around them. 
as correctly interpreting what they are seeing. You see, his answer to them, and you can see that um, in verse 20 and 21. The kingdom is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, he, look here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. You see, Jesus' answer to them is that the kingdom will not be seen with signs which can be craftily observed. Now, the word observed used in your Bibles, there are two aspects to it. There's to craftily observe. The the real word that we use today is spying. That's the attitude we're coming at looking at the kingdom. We are coming with a negative slant on it. I am craftily observing. In actual fact, it shows my heart attitude. The heart is wrong. And so when we come with this craftily observed attitude, then we won't see the kingdom. But also, Jesus says, if you come with a careful observation, and the word he uses there is the word for measure. You want to see everything by careful measurements. And so you're looking around at happenings and you say, this must be it, or that must be the kingdom coming. By measuring these things carefully, you will not see the kingdom. You need to learn to interpret what's happening in front of you. Right in front of you. Because, says Jesus, the kingdom is in the very midst of you. You're looking for signs, you're looking for wonderful things to happen in Jerusalem, but the kingdom is right in the midst of you. Duh! He didn't say that. I'm here. It's right in the middle of you. You see, this, this phrase, the kingdom is in your midst, also has two facets to it. Jesus often used this type of teaching. He would put two polarities out there and they must choose. And so he says, the kingdom is in the midst. It's inside of you. Your Bible might read that. It's inside of you. Now he doesn't mean you as in them, the Pharisees, because they were against Jesus. So how can the kingdom be inside them? He means it is inside of one, inside of you. The kingdom has to happen inside of you. There's got to be a change of heart. So don't look for the kingdom out there, says Jesus. Look for the kingdom in your heart. Is it there? But also, the kingdom is in your midst. Here I am, the Messiah, right in front of you. You're spiritually blind. For three years I've been among you. I've been performing wondrous works and miracles. People have come to saving faith in me. Here are my disciples, my followers. They are evidence that the kingdom is in your midst, but you will not see because you come with craftily observed. A craftily observing heart. You will not see. What was Jesus' point? His point was that wherever the Messiah is truly recognized in hearts and honored as king, there one finds his kingdom. Do you get it? So it's not about out there. His kingdom is here. If you've heard the word of God, if you've heard the gospel message, then the kingdom is here. But the question is, is it in your heart? Have you responded to him? He's standing in front of you. Have you got a daily relationship with Jesus Christ? The kingdom is in your midst. That's not all. Then Jesus turns away from these disciples, the skeptics, and he turns, uh, sorry, from the Pharisees, and he turns to his disciples, the one who's trying to prepare, because he's going to go away soon. He's going to be crucified. He's going to go into the grave, and then he's going to rise again from the dead and go away from this earth. He's going to ascend. 
They're going to be on their own. He's trying to prepare them for this. Jesus turns to his disciples, verses 22 and 23, and he says to them, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not follow them or go out behind them. You see, the kingdom is unpredictable. His kingdom is unpredictable. His second coming is unpredictable. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. And he says, I'm not going to be with you. And there are going to come days when you are going to go through very difficult times. Now Jesus was prophesying here because we know we've got the hindsight of history. What happened once Jesus had left? Persecution started. Many of them were killed for their faith. Paul was sitting in prison for how many years? Many of them were executed. They would go through many difficult times when they would long to see just some of the kingdom work when Jesus was still amongst them, but also they would long to see the day when Jesus would come and put an end to it. But it wouldn't happen in their time. It wouldn't happen with their predictions. You see, false teachers would come up during those difficult times and they would say to them, here it is. There's the kingdom. Look, something magnificent has happened. It must be the Messiah that's come again. Well, there it is. Jesus says to them, don't follow them. By the, very, by the very fact that they are trying to predict when I will come, that proves that they are false. We need to remember that. There are many, if you switch on your computer, you go to the internet, to the gospel according to Google, you will see on the internet, there are many out there who have tried to predict the coming again of the Son of Man. The moment you believe a date, you've been led into error. Don't fall into error. I'm warning as a pastor of a church. Don't fall into error, please. Because the Bible warns, many will go away from the faith. Many will fall away. Their hearts will grow cold because they've been led into error. Because of persecution, because of hard times. When is it going to end? Well, maybe there's a date for me. Don't be led astray. Why? Because Jesus explains later in Mark chapter 13, this is what he says. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. There's the truth, you see. No one knows when Jesus will come again. It's unpredictable. But we need to be ready with a kingdom in our hearts. Thirdly, it's visible to all. When Jesus comes again, you will know it. It will be visible to all. When the Son of Man returns, is Jesus in verse 24, it will be like lightning flashing across the sky from one side to the other. So will the Son of Man be in His day. It's going to be an amazing day when Jesus Christ comes again. The intensity of His coming again, the speed of His return, will be dazzling, it will be definite, and it will be there in reality. Every eye will see Every ear will know He has returned. Whether they believe in Jesus Christ or not, they will know He's come back. Very stark contrast to when Jesus first came, isn't it? Remember when Jesus first came? I'm not personally. But when He first came as a baby, when He was born on this earth, hardly anyone knew. Angels appeared to some shepherds. They appeared to the wise men sitting in front of the crib. They found Him. Herod had to search for Him. He couldn't find Him. Very different to when he comes again. 
Every eye will see. Every ear will know. Revelation 1 verse 7 says this, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. Why will they mourn over Him? Because they will realize we hated this man, but he was the Son of God. Like that soldier standing in front of the cross. Truly, this was the Son of God. But, says Jesus, you want signs? I will give you a sign. There's one crucial and clear sign, he points out in verse 25. One event that must first happen. What is that? The Son of Man must suffer. And this generation will reject Him. There's the sign. It will be clear as daylight. Why? Because they will be right in the middle of that sign. They will be the ones shouting their hatred at Jesus Christ. There's the sign. The Son of Man will suffer. You will put Him on a cross. You will nail Him on that cross. You will watch Him die. And then you will shout out your hatred of Him. That's the sign that you will see that my kingdom is established. Why? Because God's will had to be done. There was sin that had to be atoned for. He had to die for you and I. That kingdom had to be established. That will be the sign for all men that my kingdom has come. It's a very visible sign. Verse 26 to 29. When His kingdom comes, there will be a very limited time. Alright, what do I mean by that? The time for repenting is when? Now. When He comes, is there going to be time to repent? No. When Jesus Christ appears, there will be no more time to repent. The time for repentance is now, says Jesus. And then He uses two examples. He uses the example of Noah and Lot. What happened to Noah? Here's this guy. He's, I don't know how old already. I can't remember now. Late 70s, I think it was, or was it 170? It doesn't matter those days. And so he starts building this big boat, right? In the middle of wasteland. No water in sight. And he says to the people, repent, you need to come to the Lord. A great flood is going to come upon this earth. The Lord is going to destroy all sinners. You must come to the Lord. Come into the ark when I've built, when I've built it. And then you'll be saved. But you need to believe. And what did the people do? They carried on as normal. Their motto was, business as usual, this guy's mad, let's just carry on with life. And so they did. Business as usual. There was a time for repentance. There was a time of grace when God would have accepted them and when He would have saved them. But they turned their backs on that time. And then, when that came that amazing day, it must have been when those floodwaters started coming down and the rain started coming down, there came a time when that door was closed on that ark, and no one else could come in. Time had run out. You couldn't knock on the door and get in anymore. Time was finished. The time of grace was over. There's a limited time to get into the kingdom of God. Do you hear the urgency? And the same with Lot. There was a period of grace, but it ended in overwhelming judgment. Why? It was a consequence of people's choice. Not to believe God. Lot warned the people. He said, don't do these evil things. Come to the Lord. Don't sin against Him any longer. But would they hear Him? No. 
Do you hear the warning this morning? There's a limited time of grace available to every single human being on this earth. And then verse 30 to 36 describes something more of that sudden coming of the Lord. It will come suddenly on us. The day of final revelation will be an apocalypto, is the Greek word. It's, it will be a day of revealing, which will happen suddenly. It will happen immediately. It will be unmistakable. And the results will be unmistakable. It will be an apocalypto, this revealing of the Lord. And Jesus says, those on the rooftops, don't try and come down into your houses and try and grab possessions and bring them with you. There will be no more time to prepare. When the Son of Man appears, time for preparation is over. Unlike the limited available, uh, availability of time when Jesus predicts the falling of Jerusalem, the siege of Jerusalem in Luke chapter 21, where people still had time when they saw the armies massing, they still had time to flee to the countryside, to hide in the hills. This time, says the Lord, when I come again, there will be no more time to prepare. If you're on the rooftops, leave your stuff in the home. If you're in the fields, don't try and go and gather your tools. It is too late for that, says the Lord. You see, He's calling for decision today between the eternal values or earthly possessions. That should be the priority calling. Are you hearing it? We live in a, in a time in the world's history when we've never had more possessions around us than ever before. We've got more gadgets than we know what to do with. I've got five, six phones lying in my drawers. I don't know what to do with it. And give them to African countries, I guess. There's so much. But the call of the gospel is, are your spiritual priorities right? Or are you concentrating on the material priorities? Because when he comes, you must be ready. Secondly, there will be no time for reluctance or indecision. You see, what happened to Lot's wife? Her heart was so much in Sodom that Sodom was in her heart. I'll repeat that. It's quite tricky on the mind, but it works. Her heart was so much in Sodom that Sodom was in her heart. Our hearts are so much in the world that the world is in our hearts. Do you get it? It's so dangerous. Because it keeps us from being ready for when the Lord appears. There is no more time then for indecision. We have to be ready. If you haven't got that type of religion, which is in a daily relationship with the Lord every single day, then J.C. Ryle, a famous dead guy, says this. He says, you've got a lean-to religion. Now, if you live on a lifestyle block, we know what lean-tos are. You don't need building permits for that. All right? You've got your main building that the plan is all in. All right? We'll scrub that off the recording. Um, but then you've got a lean-to. It's just a, a side building that you kind of lean on the other one. Sorry, building inspector sitting among us. It's not a real building, is it? It's a temporary building. It, it kind of becomes permanent later, but it's a temporary building. It's not a real building. J.C. Ryle says, if you've got a faith which isn't dependent on Jesus Christ himself, if it's only dependent on your religion, then you've got a lean-to faith. It's not real. It's false. And one day when the Lord comes again, that falseness will be revealed. It will stand up for what it is. It will fall down in His coming. Thirdly, He says, own effort will not save anyone, but only faith in another. Look at verse 33. 
You will not be able to save yourself. The only way you can save your life is to give it away. If you try and save your own life, you will lose it. But if you give your life to another, you will save it. See what he's saying? You need to have faith in one who is everlasting, one who is all-powerful, one who can save you through that time when he comes again. And then verse 34 to verse 36. His return will be unexpected and selective. Why? And that's this famous passage that's often misused. You have movies like um, Left Behind. That's why I called the the, the sermon this. The Left Behind series. Where two people are working and then suddenly... One's gone and the other one stayed behind or they're busy driving the car. One's gone, the other one's still driving the car but the driver's seat's there. Um, that type of thing. It's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes suddenly. Two people will be lying in bed. The saved one will be taken up from there and meet Jesus in the air. I'm not making this up, really. Read your Bibles. Jesus says, and he should know, he's the son of man. He says, in that day, Two will be lying in a bed. One will come and meet me in the air. The other, the unrighteous one, will stay behind. Two, two women will be grinding together. They had this gadget they could work between them to grind corn. Two of them will be busy working their gadget. One will suddenly go and be with the Lord. The other one, the unrighteous one, will stay behind. It's reality. This is not fairy stories. It's going to happen in that way. Are you ready? The unrighteous will stay behind. The righteous will go and meet the Lord in the air. Listen to this beautiful passage in Thessalonians where Jesus describes this. In Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. Listen to these words. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, that's not those who don't know Christ, that's those who have already died but are in Christ, they will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Do you look forward to that? When Christ comes again, it's going to happen. The dead in Christ will rise. They'll be reunited with the heavenly bodies. Those of us who are on this earth, we're still in our normal size 8 shoe bodies. We will rise and meet with the Lord. We will be, have our heavenly bodies with us and we will meet Him as He descends to this earth. And who is left behind? Those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They will see Him approaching and they will be overcome with overwhelming fear because they will recognize that this is indeed the Son of God. But I can't do anything about it anymore. I now have to. Do you have a heart for the lost? When you speak to your unbelieving family members, do you cry for them? Because if they do not come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, they will be left behind to face the King as judge. Are we taking out that message to them? Do we cry for them? And then Jesus warns with this, he ends with this warning. The disciples asked him a follow-up question, not when will it happen, but Lord, where will this happen? And what does Jesus say to them? Where the carcass is, there the vultures, or the eagle, your Bible might say, will gather. 
Where the carcass is, there the vultures will gather. When you first read that, you think, what? Why? But it summarizes what the Lord's saying, you see. What is He saying? He's saying, where the kingdom is not, there the vultures will gather. Judgment will come upon. Where there is spiritual lifelessness, judgment will be. If the kingdom is not in your heart, that is where judgment will be. So he links it up again with the Pharisees' original question. It's beautiful teaching. Are you ready in the light of that teaching for Jesus Christ? I want to leave you my four so what questions. This is the application side and then we're through. But listen, this question could save your life this morning. Are you listening? The first one is this. Is the kingdom of God within you because it's already in your midst? It's been in your midst for 2,000 plus years. Is the kingdom of God within you as you sit here in front of me this morning? You've heard the message again. The kingdom of God is in your midst. And if it is, if the kingdom is in your heart, then I want to ask you a follow-up question to believers here. Who's wearing the crown of that kingdom? Is it King Jesus or is it King me? In other words, what are your priorities in life? Is it kingdom focused or my kingdom focused? The second question I want to ask you is this. Jesus' return will be sudden and unexpected. Are you ready right now? Are you ready now for His return? You see, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to repent. I... If Jesus had come now, would you have been ready as you sit right here? Because he said, I can come at any time. As you sit in your chair, what is your state before the Lord now? That's the reality. Jesus said there's a period of grace. I don't want anyone to be destroyed, but I want everyone to repent. And so why hasn't he come yet? Because there's still time for you to come to Him. He's a God of grace. There's still time. Will you take up that offering? Thirdly, I want to ask you this. If you're a Christian here, if you're a believer, if the kingdom is in your heart, then I want to ask you this. Is business as usual your motto in practice? You might say one thing theologically, but is, it, is business as usual your motto in practice? You want to know how you'd know? Open your diary. Open your time schedule. Open your checkbook. Look at the priorities in your life. Is it kingdom focused? Or business as usual focused? What is it? Lot's wife had the world so much in her heart that she was still part of it. And then fourthly and lastly, in whose power are you facing the certain fact of Christ's return? In whose power are you facing eternity this morning is it in your power because Jesus says you will lose your life but if you give your life to him then you will find your life 
because He will hold your life. And He will hold you right through that tumultuous time when He comes again. And you will rise and meet Him in the air. And you will live with Him forever. I can only plead with you. Will you be taken? Will you meet Him in the air? Or will you be left behind? If Jesus Christ is not in your heart today, can you afford to delay? Can you afford it? Let's pray.